Wonder Things Studios proudly presents a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 more minutes with Jake Kerr. Hello, literary alchemists. I'm Dave Robison. And I'm Marie Billado. And you've tuned into a special episode of the Roundtable Podcast. 20 Minutes With. 20 Minutes With is an opportunity to sit down with some amazing creators and explore their craft in our never-ending quest to improve our own and sometimes bring someone back to further brain drain them. Yeah, further brain drain. <laughs> <laughs> I just hook them up to the old uh, 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 cow milker there to the back of the brain, flip it on. Dump their, dump their creative mojo. Lovely image. Lovely. <laughs> Marie Billado, uh, my co-host, it is always a delight uh, to, to, to rejoin you. We missed you on the last episode. Uh, uh, you, were, you were off doing the CanCon thing, as I recall. I was doing the CanCon thing, and I did miss you guys very much as well, but I was sending all of my good vibes, all of them, so we, nobody got them at CanCon. Oh, <laughs> that's that's too bad. We <laughs> did. We received a big old truckload of good vibes. I assumed it was you. Uh, oh, totally. So that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> very cool. Well, it's wonderful to have you back, and uh, uh, let, let's let's continue our never-ending quest, shall we, with a, with, a, with a guest host. You down with that? I am totally down with it. I've been looking forward to this. Thank you. Oh, Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It really is. It's like a gift that we just keep on giving week after week after week. Uh, and and friends, uh, our guest host for this episode of Twenty Minutes with uh, really kind of makes his literary home on the fringes of the craft. I mean, he's he's exploring every shadowed corner as he refines and reinvents his his writerly mojo time and time again. Now he's a repeat offender here at the RTP. Uh, you can hear his brilliant and slightly creepy intro from his interview back in March. <laughs> of 2015, uh, but he's been busy in the intervening year and a half. Uh, uh, he released No Fear Revision, Improve Your Writing Without Driving Yourself Crazy uh, in August of 2015, and I highly recommend this because there's enough crazy out there in the world. You, you can improve your writing without going mad, and our guest host proves it. Um, his The Guildmaster Thief came out in December 2015, and we'll be talking about that in a little bit. Uh, the second book in his Tommy Black series, Tommy Black and the Coat of Invincibility, hit shelves in January 2016. A collection of his short work, Selected Stories, was released in June 2016. And in that same month, Wastelands 2, More Stories of the Apocalypse, also came out. Uh, and his story appeared alongside stories by George R. R. Martin, Cory Doctorow, Lauren Bucus, Christy Yant, and more stellar luminous of the apocalyptic fiction set. Uh, he's also been invited to contribute to the Gamer Chronicles, an anthology based on virtual reality and gaming, which sounds badass. And he's working on a novelized adaptation of G.K. Chesterton's The Man Who Was Thursday, uh, which is just badass. Ladies and gentlemen, returning to the big comfy chair here at the Roundtable Virtual Studios, Jake Kerr. Jake, my man, a year and a half, 
you have accomplished a hell of a lot. I mean, really, you've kind of packed a few more books onto the shelves there. Plus, you're doing some very cool stuff. I'm so delighted that that the chair still fits and that you're willing to sit in it. Uh, thanks for making the time, man. Oh, man, the pleasure's all mine. This chair is big and it's comfy. You described it perfectly. So this is it. Thank you. Uh, good, good. Make yourself at home, sir. Uh, uh, I'm I'm intrigued. Uh, uh, I, I just want to ask a question about the Guildmaster Thief before we turn on the clock and all of that ho-ho. Um, there was something <laughs> strange about the Guildmaster series as it was coming out. I was following your blog and it was going to be the Guildmaster Omnibus but now it's in Amazon as the Guildmaster Thief. But I think you're still doing some very cool stuff in the form of narrative. Tell tell us more about that. Yeah, uh, so it started out as I wrote a novella. It was, it was a short novella. It was about 16,000 words. That was called The Guildmaster Thief. And it was just a fantasy, short fantasy uh, story. Mm-hmm. Had a beginning and a middle and an end. And the end was kind of open-ended, you, you know. The the uh, the young protagonist was named the Guildmaster Thief, and and uh, that was the story. Uh, I always wanted to write the next story, and uh, I wrote that one, and that was about twenty thousand words. So you know, between the two, I had two novellas, but I didn't have a no- novel, and they were again beginning, middle, and end. But there was a wider arc that I saw behind the scenes. So basically, what I did was I decided I'm going to release bi-monthly novellas that each are a standalone and then four of them would have a wider story arc so they would fit into a, a novel length and then I would release multiple omnibuses of these four book series as a much longer story length arc of uh, you know the uh, city state and the people that uh, uh, live there so I love the idea of small pieces building up to a, a huge epic story many characters uh, that kind of thing where it kind of went off the rails was that as I went along the story just became bigger and it was impossible. As they do. <laughs> <laughs> so I always, uh, it was, it was it, like the first was 15, the second was 20, the third book was, uh, I think, 26K, and then the, uh, the fourth novella was 33K. And uh, as I started working on the next novella, I realized that it was going to be well over 50K. It was basically a full novel. And two things hit me. One is that I'm not going to be able to write a novel in addition to everything else I was doing every two months. So my original publishing plan of a, a novella every two months was workable, but a novel, no. So I had to kind of rethink that. And then the other part of it was that the story was the the back, the overarching story, as it became more to the fore, uh, became more dominant in the story itself. And therefore, these kind of sub four book stories uh, was kind of falling by the wayside. So I did a, a quick turn and decided that what I'll do is I'll release them as standalone novels and just release it as a, as a traditional series of fantasy novels. And okay. uh, book two is out next month. Book one, uh, basically, I took all of the novellas, combined them, did a little bit of cleanup, and uh, republished it as uh, a single novel called The Guildmaster Thief. Okay. And then, and then subsequent <laughs> stories will, will be a full novel rather than a collection of shorter tales that start to grow and expand. In, in development, Jake, we call that scope creep. 
uh, as as new as new elements and features get try to get crammed into a piece of software. Yeah. We call it. This is story creep, is what you're experiencing. It sounds like. Yes, I need a I needed a bigger operating system to handle my new, <laughs> my new We need daily scrums and oh, and man. scrum masters yeah. and all that stuff. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I I I've noticed that that people are enjoying the book immensely but they're kind of not sure if it's if it's a YA book or if it's an adult book uh, which is absolutely fine you know if, if it's undefinable as long as you're enjoying the story great did you have a was it supposed to be YA or or were you looking for a deep uh, uh, not a deeper but a were you looking for more of a, a, a grittier story well I mean one of the things that is valuable in self-publishing is that you don't have to concern yourself with those labels that's you know, true I took my I took my first Tommy Black book out and to uh, you know a few agents and some publishers. Uh, they all loved it, but they all said, "Is this middle grade or is this YA?" Because you know that Tommy Black is thirteen. Um, there is a, a vague love interest, but it's not a real kind of love story at all. You know, he's missing some agency that you would expect in a in a, in a YA book, and it was kind of in between those. And they didn't know how to handle that. So what what they considered a really good book they didn't consider publishable. So, and I was like, fine, I'll publish it myself. And I did. And you know, it's doing quite well. The same thing is with the Guildmaster Thief. I didn't intend it to be YA. It just happens. I wanted the protagonist to be young and kind of under, uh, not considered serious for the actions that are in the book. It's very similar to, you know, one of the books that was really valuable for me in terms of planning out how I was going to do Guildmaster Thief was Gene Wolfe's book of the new son. Yes. Uh, I can't, I, I can't remotely hope to achieve what Gene has done. It's, <laughs> it's an extraordinary book and series, but Severian, who is the protagonist of that book is very young at the beginning. He's a, he's a, uh, you know, but that's not a YA series. You know what I mean? He's a, sure. he's a young kid kind of coming in. It's kind of coming of age and coming of age is considered YA these days. And, uh, so this book is kind of a coming of age book for one of the characters, but there's multiple characters in there. So I think the fact that the very beginning of the book in the, uh, most of the kind of background of that story is told from a 16 year old makes people think it's YA. And it's also not like grim dark or anything like that. There's not like, uh, people's, you know, rapes and beheadings or anything like that. So it's not, it doesn't have that, uh, you know, song of ice and fire grimness to it. Right. Uh, you would expect either. So when you combine those two, I think people kind of default to YA. I, I think a better kind of comparison would be more of a traditional sword and sorcery from the 20th century. You know, a gray mouser or a you know, uh, you know, even a Conan. You know, this like Conan is nothing like what you would read in Game of Thrones. That kind of thing. So Certainly not. it's 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 my take on the old fantasy sword and sorcery books that I, I read growing up. So it's not really a whole lot like them, but it's not a whole lot like what's going on today. Cool. Which is pretty much the, 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 the benchmark that I tend to ascribe to your fiction. Uh, uh, you follow paths that you love, uh, but you do them in your own way. And that I think makes you, uh, 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 makes you a reader worth reading in my estimation. Uh, but oh, all right, yeah. cool. Thank you for that. I was curious about that as I was following your blog. We hadn't had a chance to talk, so I figured that could be an interesting point. Of I, I, I can actually succinctly put: I had an idea and it failed, and that's really what it comes down to. Is I don't mind failing when I try various things. 
and this one failed. I had an idea for how to present a epic story using small pieces, and it, it, the the structure didn't work for what I was trying to do. Well, and we explored that in your first twenty minutes with that 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 permission to to fail. Uh, but if you're not failing, you're also not pushing the envelope. You're not exploring your own boundaries, uh, uh, which means that in order to be the the best writer you can be, you need to expect to fail sometimes. Otherwise, you're you're not you're not challenging yourself. You're not pushing yourself out there. So, well, look, let's obviously we're waxing rhapsodic here. We haven't even started the clock. Uh, let's do that now. I'm going to set the clock and uh, obviously it's already developing a complex because I forgot to turn it on and I'll probably forget to turn it off and that's okay too. Um, <laughs> let's dive into this then. And actually, since I've kind of dominated the first part of this uh, uh, interview process, Marie, I'm going to turn the first quite a first official question of our 20 minutes with over to you, ma'am, <laughs> just, just in the, in the interest of equity and also to find out what's on your mind. Uh, uh, what, what do you got for Jake? Okay, I have I have two questions. One of them is really not a question. It's just a point for my own personal curiosity. Uh, so, Jake, I've got your website on my screen right now, just in case I want to try to find something smart to pull from and quote you to yourself. Um, That's a challenge. That's a challenge. Smart on I won't lie. I found that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, um, but on your website, there is a video of a puppy running towards me on a loop all the time. He's adorable. Is that your puppy? <laughs> no, that's, it's actually not my puppy. I oh. just was, I wanted, to, you know, I think my website is really just about basic information about me. So, uh, I figure, you know, enough of that is boring. I may as well have some fun, uh, cute puppy on there to at least make it worthwhile for people. So I found a video and put it in the background. <laughs> well, it's absolutely adorable. So I, I just needed to know because this puppy keeps running towards me all happy and I feel like I'm not delivering to the puppy the joy it needs. But uh, on to an actual... It's, it's a, you know, I could get all creative and say the puppy is a metaphor for me. Just uh, joyously approaching the reader. Galumphing. Yeah, Galumphing. But I just made that up right now, so don't take that as anything. <laughs> You've got kind of drool coming, and it might be a little bit scary to the reader, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I've, got, I've got an actual question for you. So, <laughs> just, you know, just, just as a softball to start you here. Um, I'm fascinated with how people get into writing, especially um, – like you've had a good career already ahead of you as a uh, uh, music and radio industry columnist and journalist and all of that good stuff. And while you were talking, I wasn't even going to ask you this question, but it occurred to me while you were talking about um, the Guildmaster Thief that the way that you've set up, you structured the novellas, regardless of whether or not you thought that you'd succeeded and you were combining them. It's really kind of the idea of the novellas are the tracks and the, the omnibus becomes that album of uh, interlinked stories, um, much like in the, much like you'd find it in music. Uh, and I, that idea immediately came to me. Now, do you find that what you've learned as a journalist and a columnist, Dan, like, what do you find that you bring into your fiction writing right now? That's a really good question. You know, I've thought about that a lot because, you know, people will, you, you know, I, I get asked a lot, like, what's it like to have your first story nominated for, you know, first published story nominate, nominated for a Nebula Award. And and Dave, we talked on my in my previous appearance about how you know, it's uh, you, the overnight sensation has a lot of years behind it, you know. Right. And so mm -hmm. I think that that ties into this question, Marie, in the sense that, you know, I, I probably have well over a million words of nonfiction behind me before I even 
tr- attempted to write fiction. And, you know, I had an editor who was, uh, you know, every week would uh, breathe down my neck about, you know, this wasn't clear, that wasn't clear. So I think there's two things. One you could say is a negative. Uh, I don't necessarily see it that way, but the other is definitely a positive. And the, the negative is a sense that, you know, my prose is, you know, tends to be very clear and crisp and and simple. You know, I don't have the prose skills of, you know, a lot of writers, but it's simple and it's easy to understand and it's clear and it flows well. And I got that from journalism. Again, you can take that as a positive or a negative. Um, I see it as both, actually. The other side of that is there's a kind of a, a conciseness to my writing, there's not a lot of flowery description because I get to the point pretty quickly. And again, you could see that as a negative or a positive. You know, I grew up reading Edgar Rice Burroughs and, you know, uh, the, the books that really had prose that would make people make fun of them. And, uh, you know, but I like that. And I like, I like the, that the, the prose serves the story and not the other way around. And I think that the, my years of journalism really contributed to my taking what I had read and turning it into something that I write. Oh, that's really oh, that's awesome. True. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, you've already had some great successes. So I'd, to my mind, they're both great positives. And uh, a lack of purple prose is never a bad thing <laughs> in any book. Well, and that's kind of interesting, actually, because, you know, we had uh, Merle Lafferty on last week or two weeks ago. Uh, and, and she has professed, uh, uh, you know, that the description is one of the things that continues to challenge her in her prose. And, you know, just hearing hearing your response, Jake, got me thinking that, uh, you know, I, I, I was initially going to say, well, yes, but our, our readership has become very sophisticated. You know, you have these fans who of, of late have elevated their expectations. They also have so many stories in their heads that they have consumed because they love it so much that a, a few words of suggestive prose invites them to unpack in their own way all of the descriptive filler that you know has been crammed into their heads by their own interest and their own pursuit of the story. So you could argue that a more sparse descriptive nature is actually inviting the reader to participate more actively in the reading of the story uh does that does that sound like complete bullshit or or do you think i want to no, something no. there I, I think it goes two ways and it can be bad and it can be good and it's and that's and hence the beauty of writing it's difficult to kind of play it well uh the uh you know i i recently uh put the Guildmaster Thief uh, for free for a day for the Reddit fantasy group to to, to enjoy because I, I think they're an amazing group. And uh, they downloaded a ton of books. And one of the readers said, you know, your character of Allard in the book is described as uh, having dark skin. And he's basically uh, black. And is, is he black like a dark elf or is he black like an African-American? <laughs> now, I, that that's a question that never would have entered my mind. I, I pictured him as, you know, Idris Elba, I guess is the best way to kind of describe how I pictured him. Although he wasn't really my character guy. It's just that, you know, when, if you're asking me, who does he look like? That would be the first thing that comes to mind. And, and I was like, my reply was like, I don't even know what a dark elf looks like. I mean, wait, I mean, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> and, the guy, and he linked to a, uh, like an anime uh, of a dark elf, which is a bluish dark skin. And he's like, I really pictured him this way. And, and I'm, and, and, and I said, well, to be honest, 
you know, I, I pictured him a different way, but you're the reader. You can picture him any way that you like. Yeah. Um, so it, it was it was really kind of just crazy that th- something that didn't even remotely cross my mind as a description that needed more was literally the first question I was asked on Reddit, which is well, <laughs> but it was cool. It was it was it was a cool question to answer, and, mm-hmm. and it was in the other side of this. And I, I don't want to waste too much time on this uh, because I, it's easy to get me to go down the rabbit hole. Is <laughs> you know it is a flaw. You know there's there's one of the things that you need to do as a writer is get the reader in scene. You need to get them immersed in the writing that you're doing. If you have too little detail, there's nothing for them to hang on to. There's nothing to draw them into the scene, and that's actually a, a pretty significant flaw of mine that I fight, and and that's directly related, to, Marie, to your point to my days as a journalist. There's a I'll give you one example real quickly. Uh, feel free to edit it as if you want, Dave. <laughs> but at the beginning of the second Tommy Black book, uh, the very, very, very beginning, Tommy's getting out of a cab and it's raining, and he's uh, and I, I just describe it as raining, and he gets out and he he's walking toward uh, the castle basically. Well, I, I had a beta reader who said this is just awful. And I was like, what? This is like, I have no sense of the scene here. He's like, you have a cab and he's walking toward a castle. You know, I know he's been here before. So I sat down and I thought, well, what's it like? In the ca- it's raining, so the cabbie doesn't get out of his cab. So he, he, he holds his hand out from the window to collect the money. And I love the raindrops bouncing off his bare palm. And then the, the fact that it's, it's muddy and, and Tommy's uh, you know, walking in the mud and it seeps into his shoes. And I, I added just a couple of pieces like that and it really transformed the scene. So you know, I, I appreciate the idea of giving the reader a lot to work with and I think that's important. But I also think that you can't ignore the fact that a scene does contain description and things that will pull you in. Sure. And, and we've heard many times on the roundtable the, the admonition to remember to include all of the senses in your descriptions, whether they be sparse or verbose. Uh, uh, but as you say, as you invoke, the, the immersion of the reader into the scene is tantamount to them forging an emotional connection. Uh, yes, uh, to exactly. It. So very cool. We'll be back with more of our conversation with Jake Kerr after this brief promotional break. Hi, I'm Mike White. And I'm Rob St. Mary. And we're the hosts of the Projection Booth Podcast. If you haven't heard of the Projection Booth, that's okay. But we think it's time that you have. We've been doing this for over three years now. And we think we're doing a pretty good show. Every week we look at a different film and put it in context. We try to bring you interviews with the people behind the films. Or experts on a subject matter covered in the film. We don't specialize in any one particular genre or type of film. We try to examine every aspect of cinema. From every corner of the globe. Even at three years, we barely just scratched the surface. But we're ready. We're ready for you to listen to us. That's right. Now's the time to give us a shot. Download us through our free smartphone app. Or through Stitcher, iTunes, Geek Juice Radio, Jackalope. Or our website. Projection-booth.com. We'll keep making great shows. Now it's your turn to listen to them. Now, let's get back to the conversation with Jake Kerr. Uh, I, I actually wanted to ask you, uh, uh, Jake. Um, you 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 have a long heritage of adapting stories, uh, uh, dipping dipping your toe in the fan fiction realm with Dragon Riders of Pern as a youth. 
Uh, and <laughs> then your your Nebula nominated uh, the, the old equations adapted from the cold equations. And now you're in the process of adapting it another story, uh, The Man Who Was Thursday. And uh, it, it sounds like this particular adaptation is is becoming something more than you anticipated. Uh, uh, and we can explore that a little bit, but I'm kind of curious because we've all, many of us who are a little longer in the tooth, uh, have have read a story. Well, I guess everybody has read a story from the golden age of speculative fiction. Uh, you invoked Conan, of course, and Fawcett and Greymouser. Um, and and they're, those first loves, uh, whenever you encounter a story or a series, that, that latches onto you. And, and I can see the desire to want to bring that into uh, a new aesthetic uh, into a, a modern narrative to to work in those story narratives uh, uh, and see what they can teach you and also see what you can bring to them in terms of revitalizing them changing them e- evolving them I'm curious seeing as how you've done this professionally twice already and I'm sure unprofessionally several times more uh, what is the process for adapting a story, uh, uh, what what do you go through? Where, where, where do you start? Uh, uh, what are the elements that you glom onto that you feel are important? Uh, what what needs to change? Uh, based and of course that's going to be a very fluid thing based on what your objectives are. But I'm just curious. Tell us a little bit about your processes of adapting an existing story into a different homage narrative. Is that even a, a relevant? consideration yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean I, I, you hit the nail on the head using the word homage it's uh and, and i'll go into a little bit more detail in talking about thir- the man who was thursday but with the old equations um it was it, it was two things one was desperation because at the time i had uh uh you know i i wrote uh stories that are more about the human heart and emotion and i was and i my the very first story that i submitted uh, got a round of rejections of this is freaking awesome, but it's not science fiction. So there was an element of desperation in terms of, okay, I need to write science fiction. What the hell is science fiction? And the first story that came to mind was The Cold Equations by Tom Godwin. I mean, to me, that's the prototypical science fiction story. And, uh, you know, complete with, you know, physics and, and weight and spaceship and all of that stuff. So I, uh, and I think we mentioned this in my, my previous appearance, I basically copied the story with using Einsteinian relativity and it just didn't work. So I had to become more creative and that was a very good thing for me in the sense that I wanted to do an homage to the story, but I also wanted to use it for very selfish reasons of teaching myself how to be more scientific in my stories. And what I came up with, uh, you can read it and it has nothing to do really with the cold equations in terms of plot, uh, but everything to do with it in terms of the theme of, you know, the universe is going to, you know, there's certain things in the universe you can't fight, you know, right. and ignorant, ignorance of science is one of them. And uh, so that was a, uh, an homage that actually someone who's not familiar with cold equations, who, who's very familiar with cold equations and read the book without, read uh, the old equations without knowing the title would vaguely see a link but wouldn't know it was a overt homage. So it was really more of a service to me than a true homage, although I, I, I really wanted it to be an homage to Godwin because that story is amazing. Th- Thursday's a really different beast entirely. I, uh, 
let's do an in-between thing here. Mm-hmm. Tommy Black, my my uh, my middle grade YA series, was is is a labor. I, I guess all my books are labors of love, but is is a labor <laughs> of love because I grew up. I grew up reading Edgar Rice Burroughs, and you know, really just the 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 action adventure novels of the 20th century, and so much of that just does not translate to modern prose. It's just you, you know a reader today who's 18 or 17 or even 28 who picks up you know the the land that time forgot would just be like the, there's nothing but exposition for the first three chapters they would just like be they'd hate it um now i'm I'm obviously generalizing but it's the the prose is very out of fashion but i love those books and what i wanted to do with tommy black was like take the the kind of action adventure stories of my youth simple almost innocent stories and and put them in modern prose to kind of draw people back in and that that was kind of the goal of that thursday the man who's thursday is a more explicit version of that. I love the book, The Man Who Is Thursday. It's really more of a philosophical book than an action adventure thriller. It's 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 a book about conspiracy and uh, you know uh, a group that a secret organization. And it has all of the elements of a book today that you just fall in love with. But again, there's whole chapters where it's just philosophical discussion between you know uh, art and science and what is right and what is you know is written in 1906. So the discussion is about anarchists and and uh, you know order versus anarchy. It's just very very difficult reading for someone today in terms of just getting into it, you know, immersing yourself into it to use the descriptive thing we were talking earlier. And that was a tragedy to me. I wanted to bring people in. Um, so I sat down and I thought two things, this will be so easy. This is a, this is a short novel. (laughs) The plot is really, really simple. It's going to be like, you know, I could basically rewrite this with more, uh, take, take the exposition out, add more in scene, twist it a little bit and make it more futuristic. Uh, and, and this will be something I could whip out in two weeks and it'll be awesome. I'll make all kinds of money. And you know, it was, it was, it was real. I didn't take it seriously. Frankly, I, the, the, the goal behind it was, was very sincere and, and heartfelt, but the actual writing of it, I figured was going to be like stupid easy. Well, it turns out to be harder to do to update an old novel than it is to write one on your own. I mean, literally it took me probably twice as long to finish the first draft of Thursday than it took than it would have taken me to write a entire draft of say a Guildmaster Thief or Tommy Black series twice as long. And it's because, you know, you're you want to honor the original, but at the same time, a lot of it doesn't carry through. So you have to rewrite a bunch. And then you're sitting there looking at dialogue and you're saying, well, do I want to rewrite the words of this great writer, G.K. Chesterton, or do I want to use his language? And my first draft was a complete mess because I I kept as much of his dialogue as possible and it's awful it's not that his dialogue is awful <laughs> it's just that his dialogue today is awful sure. so i had to go through and rewrite all that and then i had then i realized like uh i, I took what is a thriller based in 1906 and turned it into a, a matrix style ready player one book where it takes place in a mix between the real world and a virtual world and you know you come in and out of the virtual world in the real world and the the bulk of the man who is thursday is a long chase scene and a long chase scene is great but 
you know, if you take the philosophical musings behind, it's one chapter. So I had to fill out like 30,000 words of chase scene with something. And what is that? So I actually had to actually add stuff to it as well. And the more I did it, the more I was worried that I was betraying the the fundamental premise of the book while making it more readable and, and a little bit better. Not better. That's I keep using that word. It's not really the right word to use. More contemporary, I guess. Sure. Uh, well, and, but that's the instinct, I, though. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't imagine you would put pen to paper without feeling like you could add something to it I, you know i was lazy at first i was like i thought i literally could just swap out the plot and be good to go and i'd write it in two weeks <laughs> just write it out cash it you're, in you're call wise, it good you're wiser than i am dave so but I, i'm really happy with, i'm really happy with the book that that i have right now and uh, i'm not sure what i'm going to do with it uh but the book i have right now is really actually really interesting it's funny. It touches upon one of the greatest plot twists in history. The plot twist in that book is is truly one of the all-time greats. And uh, being able to retain that was awesome. And to do it in a way that made it into a rollicking adventure was was very exciting. So at the end of the day, what I thought was going to be a two-week kind of homage slash throwaway that uh, that I could uh, kind of trot my way through turned into a pretty significant amount of work that I'm quite quite proud of. Excellent, excellent. I I, I actually I think I'm thinking we need to have like a roundtable dinner party uh, uh, and just talk about what you what you learn through that adaptation process because I'd imagine it's it's fraught with with discovery not only about the prose that you're adapting but also your own aesthetic as as a writer and the skills that you bring to that aesthetic you know you know one of the things that's really interesting and i know it's not for this is is you know we have such a love for conan and fafford and you know uh you know tarzan and and john carter and you know i we could go down a whole lengthy list of pre-1950 pulp action heroes that are still just as relevant today as characters and the prose and in the writing of those books and uh how dramatically different it is from that day and today and what happened and how we got from there to here because it's 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 a truly extraordinary difference if you were to pick up uh, you know, a John Carter book and compare it to a contemporary kind of space uh, opera. It's just, it's night and day. Right. Right. And, and that, that exploration, you know, into our roots as, as speculative fiction fans and readers and writers, uh, is, is never wasted time, but it, it can lead to a, 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 a revelation, uh, that, that can take you into some very intriguing places as a writer. Marie, what else do you have for, for, for Master Kerr? Any, any other questions <laughs> that are burning, uh, in the back of your brain? You know, I have a thousand questions, but just kind of, there's a, we could do a whole dinner party here, but just kind of as a quick follow-up to what you just said, do you usually go into a new project with the intent of seeking out a new challenge or refining some skills that you already have? Or Because you've already mentioned a few times that you undertook some projects trying to explore something new or redevelop something. Is that something you do consciously or just that just happens to be that way? Uh, it's a little of both. Uh, I think with short fiction, I tend to uh, approach it with a very open mind because I think that each story has the perfect way to tell it, and not everyone is a uh, you know past tense uh, 
you know, a single point of view. And the, uh, you know, I, I tend to do my best to adapt the, the form to the, to the function. And, um, so I tend to be a little bit more experimental with my short fiction. Um, I do, uh, I don't go into it to answer your question specifically looking for experimental ideas or things like that. Um, I go it's into just how you know, roll. <laughs> yeah, that sounds, sounds kind of like I don't know, borderline arrogant. But really, it's just along the lines of uh, I just try to write the story that I think is going to be the best one. I mean, you could go back and say, "Hey, I haven't done anything experimental really in the past, you know, three years. I've written two kids' books and an epic fantasy multi uh, point of view series. You know." two books and a, uh, I adapted a, uh, a book written in 1906. It's not a whole lot of experimentation there. Um, I think the, the, the most experimental thing I've done in the past two years is probably my second, uh, apocalypse triptych story that, uh, Hugh Howie and John Joseph Adams published in right. the end is now, which was a, a kind of a mental piece of a guy racked with guilt. So you can't, you don't know if he's in the present or if he's in the past. So, but that's, you know, that's the one example I could point to in the past few years. Yep. Very I'm, lo- cool. I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And, <laughs> and you know, I, guys, I got I'm getting ready to launch into another line of questioning and the clock uh, <laughs> has, has, has donned a hood uh, uh, and has gathered other clocks. It looks like a conspiracy uh, uh, and they're coming at me uh, with 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 dark shambling intent. Uh, so either my clock has joined an anarchist conspiracy or or it's it's time to wrap this up. And, and Jake, this always happens in conversations with you. And it, it's bittersweet when we come to the end. But it just means that we're going to have to have you back either for a dinner party or another episode and, and further delve into these into these craft and and. Uh, uh, speculative topics and discussions as always sir this has been a delight thank you so much it, it, the pleasure's all mine I'm sorry I'm so talkative maybe <laughs> I can I, my ability to uh, take my journalistic instincts into my writing certainly hasn't made it into my speaking and, and I'll work to improve that no worries please please don't don't do anything on our behalf uh, it's, it's a delight <laughs> and there's good food there's good story food there's good craft food in it Marie uh, there was I mean that was that was 20-esque or more minutes of uh, of some writerly fabulosity there. What's uh, what's stuck in your head? What are you what are you glomming onto and taking away from this? You know, I'm, it's something not something that uh, Jake said specifically, but just in his whole attitude and regard towards it is. You know, just just write just write the thing you want to write at the at the time do the best you can with it and don't shy away from the challenge or from the opportunity that comes before you and and kind of just chill about it and just get it done you know like yeah. chill dude yeah kind of absolutely. that attitude there well and and you know yes absolutely and and my thoughts the thing that stuck with me is actually very very linked to that when we were discussing you know his journalistic impulse influences uh, and and how they've led to a very uh, sparse narrative structure that he's you know that he then works on and initially of course I always went off in the well we have to do the balance thing and this that and the other but honestly, what you just said is absolutely true. Uh, uh, write this story, the initial story, mm-hmm. in your heart, in your words, in your essence, you know, as true and honest as you can be. And then in the revision process, 
that's when you can go back and apply a lot of the craft. I mean, I think I think a lot of people get wrapped up, I certainly do, in the amount of time it takes to write a story. And there's there's this impulse, and I think a lot of it is our lifestyle these days, of I can't waste time. I, I must get something done quickly. It must get out into the market and blah, blah, blah. And, and I've got to put out this many things in order to be a success, yada, yada, yada. And, and I, I think there can be nothing more deadly to the creative process than a ticking clock. And that, that's not to say ignore your deadlines, but, you know, Stephen King said, and I've invoked it before, you write the first draft with the door closed and the second draft with the door open. Uh, that first draft <laughs> needs to be for yourself and, and yeah. full of yourself. And then you can open it up and, and do a revision. And as you get better at what you do, both processes accelerate and pick up speed. But uh, uh, as you're starting out, you know, for any aspiring writers out there, uh, uh, don't don't give in to that ticking clock of time. Give in to your creative pursuit and the evolution of your creative voice, and then then you can listen to the ticking clock and worry about it. But uh, but yeah, yeah. God, there's just a lot to unpack from that conversation. I like that. I there do was too. too. Yeah. Holy crap. Okay, so guys, <laughs> as we all sit here mind reeling and, and buzzing, uh, uh, keep in mind that this does not end with that fabulous conversation. Awesome as it was, we're going to bring Jake back in a week, and we're going to bring back Marie and myself in a week. We're going to add into the mix a courageous guest writer, a creative and courageous guest writer who is going to lay before us a story seed that we are going to lay into and, and cultivate and probably dump some fertilizer on because that's what we do around here uh, and nurture into a great soaring oak of a of, of fabulous story that's that's what we do around here that's the brainstorm uh, but it's also seven days away and I know that's a long damn time Marie help us out what what can our listeners do between now and seven days from now to to just make that time fly on the wings of Hyperion <laughs> you know there is a lot that you could do I find like I'm I'm just reconnected with my own writing right now because after after CanCon I got the con plague from hell and I'm right. I, I still have that cough lingering at the back of my throat which I'm trying not to impose on anyone here um, so I'm going to have something very simple that I want to do myself but, but I kind of want to play with people here think about why you love your story. Why do you love the thing you're working on right now? Uh, it, it could be something as simple as it's a new challenge or, or you just love your main character or, or even just that you want to get it done and you can't wait to write the end. Whatever it is, think about how what you love about that story and let me know too because I want to like redefine my own love of writing through you so let me know what you love about your story and just think about it a little bit each day something you love about your story and then go write don't just love it write it yeah exactly but connecting to that emotive genesis that spark that yeah. sent you to it in the first place reaffirm that and then yeah see where it takes you because because if you're following love man that's love's gonna be a wonderful wonderful thing and take you to strange and unusual places I can i'm i'm a romantic at heart i really am nobody can necessarily tell but I'm i really stunned. am i'm i'm stunned <laughs> really just knock me over with a feather and i will tell you friends as i always do that you find what you're looking for whether it's love or or uh, uh the wow factor of the world or or the holy crap this this is completely 
completely off the charts. I don't know where this came from. It came there because you went looking for it. And if you look for it, friends, you will find it. We will be back in seven days with fabulosity abounding. Until then, you guys stay cool, stay frothy, and stay awesome. And we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. This episode of the Roundtable Podcast is copyright 2015 by Wonder Thing Studios and is released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, share-alike license. That means please don't sell it, but you can share it to your heart's content. You can even use portions of it in your own productions, as long as you release those productions under the same licensing terms and reference us as the source. Theme music for the Roundtable podcast was performed by the Hepcats of Brotown, Gary Gold, David Labroyere, Billy Nobel, and Matt O'Donnell. If you would like to be a guest writer or guest host, join in on the conversation or just learn more about us, visit our website at www.roundtablepodcast.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundtablepodcast and on Twitter at Writers Podcast. And you can always email us at thetable at roundtablepodcast.com. Thanks for listening.